Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. You know, if someone were to ask me to personify Power Athlete Radio, I'd say it's kind of like a wise old man, respected for his breadth of knowledge and expertise, but also humored for his completely unsubstantiated stories about high school women and being friends with famous people. This week is like sitting down with old grandpa power athlete over a glass of whiskey. Yes, your training questions will be answered, but not without a price. And that price, my friends, is stories. Some you may have heard, and as the crew loosens up a bit, definitely a few you haven't. So lose the windbreaker, sit back, stay a while. This is episode 265. Power Athlete Nation, does this clip sound familiar to you? Not that one. Power Athlete Nation, Q&A time, text, rep, rep, rep. And we want to hear your reps or questions on reps for this episode of Power Athlete Radio with the crew, a.k.a. John Wellborn, Tex McQuilkin, and yours truly. Ask a question, be specific, drop it in the comments, and we'll get to it. Got a question about your movement? Why don't you unlock your profile so we can come watch your squad? All right. Post it. That's right, people. Send it. It's one of those days today. We're going to answer your questions. Q&A. You, hey, I thought you were going to go for rhymes. If you don't know where that post came from, then you're obviously an idiot. <laughs> you're not following. Where did that post come from? Uh, idiot. Idiot. Exhi- exhibit A. I'll be honest with I you. Did I don't it? even know. Vero? Is that still a thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, our Vero post. <laughs> uh, you can catch our latest Model videos on John's idiot. MySpace page. Um, yeah. Hey, Luke, Trump. isn't that where you release all your uh, your new jams on your mixtapes? Uh, little known fact, you guys don't even know this. We had a mix group in high school called DJ Shiesty. And this was back in the day where li- copyright laws were a little less stringent. And we used to put out, like, people would ask for mixtapes. You'd fucking, I'd have people give songs. I'd burn them a CD. But here's what I did also slip in. Some DJ Shiesty tracks which were just me and my buddies fucking jupe and Ballman like sampling terrible fucking like beats and tracks on acid music back in 1999. Ooh. That was a good year. Yes. But Uh, enough about us. I think hackers and Angelina Jolie came out in 98. Where do you think I got all my hacking ideas, John? (laughs) (laughs) Enough about us. Enough about hackers. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a, another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. That's right. Power athlete radio is about to kick off. We're about to answer your questions. Yes. Here's how the workflow works. John Tex and I hit Friday morning's training session, got a sick chest pump on, uh, in the middle of Texas, Dumbbell inclined bench. John was spotting his nostrils. Uh, John, where was that finger before you put it under his nose? Uh, it was guesses? in his other nostril. <laughs> well, this is chaos training. Trying yeah. to make you laugh <laughs> while you're under load. Well, uh, it was actually just that your nose hairs were so, you know, voluminous. I was just trying to push them back in there mm. so we could, you know, do a little uh, hypoxic training. Sick. John, that's not his nose hair. That's his neck hair. Ah. Uh, uh, Burn ban. Burn ban's on. (laughs) Burn ban. Burn ban. Burn ban is off. It's on. (laughs) No, it hasn't rained. It's it's just it's so dry. We can't have text burning. So we have some questions from you all on our Instagram feed. We're going to go through as best we can, answer as succinctly, wink, wink, as we can. But before that, ladies and gentlemen, are you aware that in December on the seventh, eighth, and ninth? That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There is a three-day speaker extravaganza in Austin, Texas titled the power athlete symposium yeah it's going down it's the premier strength and conditioning extravaganza in texas in december symposium symposium that you could ever imagine so by the time you hear this people head to events.powerathletehq.com and if you're one of those donkeys going to powerathletehq.com slash symposium that's fine it's going to take you the same place hey, uh, luke how come you don't say www dot anymore it's implied HTTP. Hey, so the problem that I have now slash. is uh, whenever somebody ends up putting like any type of like URL or anything, they shoot it out there on the radio. All I ever hear is those awful 
car commercials for uh, what is it with like dot com where they they imitate the presidents. So here in Austin, they have oh this, yeah, like, uh, the, like Clinton. Uh, yeah, they Rush. have this local um, you know car dealership, and they try to pretend that like they have Bill Clinton and uh, w. Uh, w. Tell w. You what, and then uh, Obama the, and like Trump and everybody, and they pretend. Lincoln. Oh yeah, so they do these awful impressions, and they're like at something something dot com, <laughs> and every time I hear it, I'm like. I want to find these people, hunt them down, and kill them. In uh, in the Midwest, it might have been national. We had cars for kids. Oh, oh yeah, that, yeah, that's everywhere. That Eight, fucking six, thing. Seven, five cars for kids. We still remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck that. Song. It worked. Anyways, uh, is there anything else I want to say about that? Oh, well, do we have any speakers confirmed? I don't. Yes, we do. But I don't know if I want to announce them. Okay. Yet. So here's what we're promising you: nothing. We're promising you nothing. So you you are either a loyal so power is, athlete follower. So this is a nihilist you register, event. You register, and you just put your faith, your trust, in guys like McQuilkin eh, or John and I what? to put on a fucking hell of a party. Clinic. But the clinic. The as you guys all may have heard, proceeds go 100% to Wade's Army or 501c3 charity that is battling neuroblastoma. That's right. We're not buying a party barge. We're not getting new pair of Nikes. Uh, but here's what's happening: proceeds go there, and more importantly, Friday night, open invite. If you're in Austin, Texas, oh, come to wow. the Wade's Army silent auction at the Power Athlete Symposium. More info on that's going to be on the events page. Guys, it is an, a hell of a time. Right now, so Tex, we got to figure out, like, are we going to put a like a Texas mystery box out there for auction, Luke's mystery box, and then we get to fill it with whatever you want? Like, maybe it's Texas body hair. Like, how much, ladies? Lady. Nah. I just wonder if what's in John Walworth's pocket is going to fit in John Walworth's pocket. Ooh, how about that? Mm. Those are some big pockets. Hope yeah. you got big pockets because I'm going to put my bike in it. Hey, <laughs> Yes, dude, it's going to be epic. We have, um, I know we're, we're talking with plenty of sponsors. Sorenex and PowerDot are in helping us put this whole thing on, but there's going to be dozens other Stay of classy. others that are going to be contributing Ooh. to this auction, contributing Neat. to these symposiums. So thank you guys to them. But enough about that. Enough about us. En- Let's get on to the show. Mr. McQuilkin. All right. Question number one. This is coming from Block One coach Ben Skutnik. For those of us who couldn't make the pilgr- pilgrimage to the Sorenex Summer Strong 11 a few weeks ago, can you... Expand a bit on the split squat revolution that it's made its way into field strong. <sighs> so, yeah. in my desire to always continue to drive adaptation and try to figure out new pieces of programming, uh, I'm always interested in what other people are doing. So, Cal Dietz at Summer Strong gave a great presentation on triphasic and some of the ways that they have been using the training. So, Cal has gotten into this movement pattern and he calls it a single leg squat and um, when I think of a single leg squat I know what I think of more like a hey I'm standing on one leg and I'm going to you know sit down let's say to a box or you know however you want to do it we used to do single leg squats to a box when I was trained at athletes performance and so that was kind of my bias and that's what I was thinking and um, as he started going into his presentation he was talking about how he has his athletes and regularly will squat 800 pounds with a single leg squat so I'm mentally thinking no fucking way. I single leg squatted 315 with a bar to a, you know, to a low box, and I thought I was hot shit. And uh, 800 pounds is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. So we get up there. He's giving the presentation. He starts showing videos. And the movement pattern he was, he's using is a, what we'd call a, sing, uh, a kind of a single leg lunge position uh, yeah, it's like a split squat. Yeah, like, like a split squat, split squat, but it's with the safety squat bar, hands on the handles, kind of like a Hatfield squat. So imagine like a single leg split squat lunge Hatfield squat uh, with, with, elevated, with an yeah. elevated active foot where he was actually coming up on and mm-hmm. putting all the weight on the balls of the on the ball of the front foot. Well, it's not. Um, yes, but it's like don't you're not on your tippy toes. Yeah, you're just you, kind of lifting you your the heel. The athlete off. are lifting your heel off the ground, maybe an inch, yeah, right? An inch, and, and you're letting that hover to maintain an active foot. foot. Yeah. So the idea is that uh, you know all athletes, whether they're running, sprinting, changing direction, or always have you know 
uh, basically their heel elevated. So this works to strengthen the foot, strengthen the arch, and they've seen, you know, tremendous results with this. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, you know, the power athlete method of, um, you know, borrowing and giving attribution, I decided to come back and use it. Uh, or actually, we I think we went in and used well, yeah, it that got, first Monday. Yeah, first Monday, right. Yeah, first Monday we went in and did it and saw that, hey, you know, this is a pretty mm-hmm. interesting movement. So I programmed it into Field Strong. I put some into Jack Street and wanted to see how the effects of it are going to go. And so uh, just like anything, whether it be occlusion, EMS, um, you know, uh, you know, the PAP training, any of the things that you guys have seen, um, those are pieces that I've learned and things that I've seen that were good. And uh, I like to, you know, use them on my tests and push them out there to the program and see how the results go. And what's interesting about it is Cal, you know, Cal is very, the nature of his coaching responsibility allows him to be very specific with his training, right? So, you know, he talked about, he kind of rat fucked the full range of motion. I think people were expecting us to be like, oh, what do you mean you shouldn't, don't have to squat to hips to crease, right? But he has his purpose and his application for it. So one thing about this single leg squat is that it works through what Cal would refer to, like, what was it? The athletic functional range range of motion motion. or something like that. I'm I'm bastardizing it. uh, But I mean, uh, if you go back and you read uh, Verkashansky's final book, um, he makes a great distinction between sport specific movements and GPP movements Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, you know, like a, you know, barbell back squat, full range of motion, what we would classify as a, you know, GPP general preparation type movement. And then as an athlete gets more into their specific training phase up on that SVP, using partial range of motion yep. movements that strengthen an athlete in the range of motion that they're going to most use. Like, for example, and I the, the analogy I remember was he was working with, uh, I want to say it was like triple jumpers or high jumpers and realized that they needed to go from like, I think it was, uh, I mean, what, what was it? It was like uh, 60 degrees to 90 degrees. So that like, you know, three or four inches in the squat off of their extension. And then as they came down, they needed to be able to reverse it and then drive up on their toe. Mm-hmm. And so they used that movement pattern and that range of motion as a specific training adaptation for somebody that was just working on, you know, short knee bend to massive extension. So, and that's what, so what was interesting, I think when we all watched it, you know, and he delineated between two different types of single leg squats and single leg and I think deadlifts or hinging in the sense that there, you know, he will have his athletes both stay, stay as vertical as they can on their shin, trying to posterior, have a posterior dominance in these movements, either single leg or bilateral. And then he also called it like a sprinter squat or something. I, I forget athletic the athletic style, or he, I think he was calling like powerlifter style and athletic style, right? Where he'll let more of a forward shin angle, but he just like, he balances it and looks at his athletes, sees what they don't, they can't do what they can do. And he just delineates between this. He's in a very controlled environment. And he's and he also has, working with division one athletes. Yeah. And he has the, ba- well, he himself and, and has, professional, yeah. has the bandwidth to apply this. Like yeah. other coaches, I think their fucking heads would explode. Uh, I consider us pretty like, having a lot of throughput in our ability to coach and manage groups and have some of these things. And, but as you look at like, what are the primary limiting factors? Hey, listen, I'm with John and I text and like in, within our methodology, we just got to fucking get these people squatting and sitting well, into their squat and getting, well, getting strong. But so you got to remember too, if you look at the audience, right? So as we go up into that pyramid, up into that top piece, mm-hmm. uh, these guys have done all the preparatory phrases. They've done the preparation. They've done all the base level of conditioning. They've, they already have that. They're already, uh, you know, at a, at a further, uh, bottleneck of, you know, genetic adaptation of, um, you know, highly skilled athletes playing at a division one sport at, at mm-hmm. a high level or professional athletes. So they're already along the funnel, uh, and he's working with them for a very specific time snap for performance for their sport. Now, if you look in, and you extrapolate that and you go down the pyramid and you look at athletes that are just learning to bilateral hip hinge and they're just learning to pull a bar off, there's a very concrete way to do that. Mm-hmm. And then as they as their journey increases and they move farther down, then they have to get into a more specific shit, training. Right? I mean, that's where we, you know, the... Uh, the irony comes from CrossFit where, you know, the sport of GPP, which is like saying, you know, the biggest little city in the world. I mean, talk about oxymorons. General physical preparedness is exactly that. It's general physical preparedness, which without some form of specific physical preparedness uh, and a specific adaptation or what we call our task specific, uh, you know, use. 
um, you're able to move that way. So, I mean, Cal is working with a, a very unique, you know, group population. Um, I really enjoyed the movement and I really enjoyed his, uh, his talk. And anytime I can, you know, sit and listen to somebody who's, you know, doing something at a really high level. And what's been cool is we've uh, kept dialogue um, offline and, you know, text back and forth. And, uh, you know, I'm always there to answer questions and kind of, you know, point me in any right directions. And two, two things I'd love to say about the movement. Number one, personally, like Luke and I are training, watching each other move. We're able to, I guess, attack different limitations with movements that we've done a lot, a lot of heavy lunges that now we're, we're good enough to the point where we can hide, like limiting factors, we can hide them. Mm-hmm. We're pretty proficient at those movements. We can introduce this movement. And then our stuff we know is limiting our performance. Hey, it's, it's creeping its head back in there. So another opportunity to expose ourselves to a primal movement and then work on kind of attacking those limiting factors. And then two, it's this not just a movement. We are taking this movement and then finding it how it fits into our system, our methodology, our approach, our big-term goal of athleticism. And this is one of the things, one of my pet peeves, is people, I guess, take a movement and then just give it to people to do mm-hmm. without an understanding of how it fits into an overall program. And that's what you are on Field Strong and Jack Street are seeing of how this specific movement begins to kind of hit the ground running within the power athlete methodology and, you know, the cycles in which they are, are, they've landed themselves. Mm-hmm. And what allows us to do that is having a movement taxonomy, right? A, a grouping, lexicon. A grouping of movements because this is, this is a, a mixture of primals here, right? So that the, these yeah. primal movements all fit into the structure of our programming. So it's like, okay, we found a new way to do a different primal. Uh, I do like, I got to say, the elevated foot is a nice twist in terms well, of testing yeah, out our foot and arch and ankle issues. Yeah, sucks. Exactly. We don't have to worry about it. Exactly. Well, but I mean, it's um, it's addressing something that we hadn't really thought much, or I I hadn't put much thought into it. In that, um, I'm just been so focused on people just being able to put their big toe on the ground, like. Uh, you know, what I want somebody to be able to do is stand in a good bilateral position. I want them to be able to press that big toe on the ground. And when they do it, you know, all of a sudden create, um, you know, uh, tension in the hip by doing some external rotation, by driving the, you know, driving the knee out, spinning from the femur with the big toe and getting into that active position as a way to create arches and start strengthening the foot. So I've been so focused on that piece where all of a sudden as you elevate your heel, you have to put your big toe on the ground and you have to do that. So it was kind of a, one of those aha moments that I thought, man, this is a great uh, cue. And I think it's something that we're going to use and see how it affects. So um, as you guys know, in the present field strong cycle, we're really using it. Uh, I think it's every other week. Uh, we're using it for our rep maxes every other week. And then um, I know we're doing some speed work with it. And then we're getting back to, uh, you know, some squatting, some tens and really following that, you know, rep max compensatory accel- or, or yeah, rep max compensatory acceleration reps and then primal. Um, you know, standard kind of template that we use in, in, in some of the others. So I think it's good. All right. Speaking of a exercise, we got a question here from Ray Reed. If you could only choose one exercise to do for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? And I think we had this conversation. Yeah, we literally this talked morning. about it this morning. Yeah, we literally just talked literally. about it. Literally. Literally. Talked about it. This morning. This morning. But I don't remember what he's talked about. Yeah, what we said is, um, or the analogy I gave is I recently read something that looked at, uh, you know, injured athletes and it looked at people just kind of biasing movements and the strength associated with actually just doing a basic barbell back squat uh, drove adaptation for everything greater than any other movement they looked at. And it was, it was off of an email we got from a guy who broke his hand and just wanted to know what super special training he needed to do and then talked to or reminisced, I guess, with John about one of our friends who busted up her elbow longboarding in Cleveland. I don't, but she's a, she's a savage, former national-level field hockey player out of the U.K. And uh, I just told her, hey, get a safety squat bar, continue training, and only get it, go as heavy as you can with your good arm, Right. And I guess, you know, if you think about it, it's not just a back squat, John. It would be that safety squat bar, right? Because if you do find yourself uh, with an injured hand, shoulder, elbow, it will allow you to continue to squat. Sure. And you could even split squat as if, you know, what we were talking about. So it's not like, I guess, the ability to bilater- heavily 
bilateral squat, even if you had upper body issues, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that became based off, and then talking about that research, it's like, well, fuck. I mean, you could, like, there's very little people out there that could not pull this off. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. um, you know, with a banged up shoulder to be able to go in a safety bar squat has been, you know, a lifesaver because I don't have to necessarily like wrench myself into position and, you know, do further damage. So and then, um, you know, I find that especially if my uh, if I'm losing range of motion in my shoulder from injury, all of a sudden the bar ends up getting this like weird kind of crook deal where it's coming across my trap and across the back. And so I'm kind of like biasing the bar forward, which, you know, it just is never good to kind of load at that angle. So it just kind of creates a more favorable environment. I want to throw another option out there. Sprinting, like intensity sprints. So Luke and I were hitting some yesterday? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, yesterday. it was, uh, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, but it feel great. Oh, yeah. Fucking yeah. finally feel normal. So we've been hitting some heavy lifts, but skipping out on the sprinting. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go sprinting in there. If I could choose one, right, it would just be fucking all-out sprints. That way you, I don't know. You're ready for stressful situations that may shit go down, like in real life. And you can run away. No, I would full speed sprint into a person. And mm. my, bone density, uh, yeah. uh-huh. my bone density would yeah. take them down. John, you buying mm. that? No. All right. No, no, no. N- not, not on baby bird bones over here. <laughs> <laughs> Luke? Uh, so transitioning into sprinting. Uh, this is from, let's call him G. I've had some issues with pulling my hamstring once I hit top speed. Can you guys elaborate on proper form and exercises to help reduce the chances of a strain during this phase of the sprint? What do we always say? Hamstring pulls come with horizon changes. So as you get out there and you start sprinting, we end up, you think about your acceleration, your drive phase, you come out, you're in this good, you know, hopefully a 45 degree angle. Unfortunately, a lot of people are weak in their trunks and weak in the back, and they don't understand that they have to maintain that position when they fall. So what do they do? They round their shoulders to counteract it. And then as they get into a position where they are sprinting as they're coming through, all of a sudden they don't work to fight to keep that dive position as long as possible. So then they end up lifting their chest, lifting their head, like we see when people do pull-ups and they lift their chins. And as they lift and they continue to stride, we see the head come up and then you'll see the horizon change where all of a sudden as you lift and as your chin goes up and up and up, what happens? Then as your torso goes back, now to try to maintain speed, you can you start reaching instead of driving. And now you're reaching with your toe and trying to pull your heel back and end up pulling hamstrings. So it's one of those things that I always remember uh, we were sprinting, this is years ago, and it's my brother Ed against Eric Jensen. And Jensen was fast, or still is fast. I don't know, I haven't seen him in a few years. And they took off on, and we were just doing some sprints, and Jensen all of a sudden shoots out there, and, uh, you know, was taken off and been smoking my brother. And my brother being a competitive person that he is, all of a sudden I see him lift his chin, and he starts trying to, really trying to turn it on and reach. And just as he lifted his chin, I, I screamed, don't do it. And what did he do at that second? He pulled his hamstring and then he came logging back and got, ah, I'm just getting old. And I was like, no, dude, you got into a position where you let, you know, the better, uh, this guy, this younger guy run past you. And now to make up for it, instead of staying in the drive phase, you thought if you could stride it out, lift your chest and reach, it might help. And unfortunately, a lot of times we see that hamstring pull right before it happens. And, um, you know, if you're not cued in on horizon changes, it'll happen. And you ask specific exercises. So this is where we get into how we teach speed. So we kind of progress it towards opportunity, but we start with posture, position, and then patterning. So posture, speed is a product of posture. Definitely hit some dead bugs to make sure you're not caving that back forward or tucking that chin or overreaching that chin up like John was talking about with the horizon change. So let's establish the posture. Then we're going to practice our arm position so it could be arm position as well so kind of our our cheek to cheek approach and then patterning and and position with your lower legs as well so knee up knee just below the hip crease and then dorsiflexion toes in line with your knee for good drive and not overreaching right uh so from there we just practice your pattern so isolate the leg pattern isolate the arm pattern will then put you in a position to then hit the intensity sprints piecing it all together 
and then not pulling your hamstring at that top speed. So posture, position, patterning, and then film yourself. That's what we also don't see, man. So, yeah, get it on film, and we'll be able to give you a genuine diagnosis. And I'm creeping through your profile. Thanks for unblocking. Maybe it wasn't. And I can't. there's no vertical pulling, so I can't quite tell. But on vertical pressing, there is a little, like, strain and chin reach. So I'm suspecting that it could be change of horizon. Uh, also, naturally, anterior pelvic have has an over excessive anterior pelvic tilt like you know like text you and i so dead bugs for sure but that pelvic tilt is going to change how you strike which is all this stuff like have a horizon pelvic tilt um and then i guess i don't know man maybe just uh like ease into it right if you know your threshold approach it on sprint days until you get this thing sorted out does that make sense but don't be afraid to take it to the edge. But not the point of no return. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'll happen. That <laughs> will happen. All right. So posture position patterning is going to transition us into our next question. This is from short people who. All right. Besides the box. Do you have another account? <laughs> Besides the box step up and sled pushes, what are some other Z primal movements? I train softball and wrestlers. Other Z movements? Uh-huh. Well, how do we delineate a Z movement? It's usually the changing of horizon on the iliac crest. So I think about uh, step-ups, like a um, strep, uh, step-up, you know, every, every way to do it. We can do a kettlebell. You can do a sandbag. You know, any way to, to load a step-up, you can use different box heights. But then we can also, like we said, we get into the sled pushes. You get into what you did in their acceleration on the, uh, on, on the, um, uh, the running trainer. Um, and, and we also have the opportunity to change your orientation in space. So we got so our side pillars. pillars. Captain uh, Morgans. Captain Morgans. And... Knee up, toe up, kettlebells. Knee up, toe up, kettlebell swings. Mm. And one thing I do want you to try is pull-ups. So get that knee up, toe up, and then perform a pull-up and see if there is a, a change between left or right in your strength. Uh, and Oh, you mean with just one leg? Uh-huh. Yeah. And because and, uh, Luke and I were hitting some staggered stance presses, and I was uh, just found a... Dramatically stronger on one side than the other. Yeah. So we... I was perfect. Did you guys feel something like loading in your back? Like I always know when we did the staggered stance presses uh, on a bilateral press with a straight bar. No, it's like just on we one didn't, side. You know there what was we didn't a, do text iso elevate takes it. to the edge. Oh mm-hmm. no! Yeah, we can do that. Oh, there's also the Saxon lunges. Mm-hmm. So one of Ruiz's jams. So drunk step. Yeah, drunk, drunk step. step. Yeah, we used to do a lot of drunk steps. Mm-hmm. So drunk step would be short people who, instead of stepping along your train track. With your elevated foot, you're going to step and cross over your bottom planted foot and do kind of like a crossover step up. Ruiz liked to used to um, add some funny resistance with that one with straps. So we used to also do med ball type stuff with that too. Mm-hmm. So drunk step to vertical push. I mean, uh, to vertical jump to a push to throw. I mean, there's a million different variations for this. Yeah. The problem comes down to what's the maximal reward for the minimal input. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can get as creative as you want, but unfortunately, if you haven't gone through all the other steps. Exactly, leading uh, up to Leading right? up to it. Like Pun intended. Yeah. hey oh. Uh, yeah, and it sounds like if you're jamming softball and wrestlers, these are probably high school athletes. Yep. And we would not go and we would not worry about this jiggy shit other than changing your orientation. So that side pillar, a Captain Morgan, is a step up. Mm-hmm. And then our kind of straight up step ups, mm-hmm. primal proficiency, wall drill, and those sleds, plus freaking sprinting. Yeah, even very wrestlers, yeah, even very, those very skips, effective. skips. Mm-hmm. Wrestlers learn how to run. There you go. Asked and answered. All right, throwback. We had some Balboa stories, so we got a Balboa question. This is from Sir Paul Kelly. Back in the Balboa days, how did you program a linear progression into the strength portion of the group workout when people were not showing up on a regular basis? For instance, always three times a week, but sometimes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sometimes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, etc. Asking for a friend it's called with bed- benefits. It's called bedrock. Just check out bedrock. Okay. But there's a tactic to it, John. 
I mean, in terms of managing the clients, right? So we had two different splits for Balboa, right? Which was would be our five day strength split or a two week three on two on strength split, where we and other would be like skill days. Sure. But long story short is. If the people don't want to fucking come, like you got to make a choice as being the coach and gym owner. Do you want to increase your bandwidth and your coach's bandwidth to manage a strength segment? Let's say you dedicate 25 minutes of your training block to strength. Are you going to have the rest of the class press while somebody else squats in the corner? Can you handle that? Can your gym handle that? Are they going to fucking freak out? We would have our veterans, even if uh, it was the same lift of the day, veterans would be working up to maybe a 5RM with a drop set, but the new guys would be in there just squatting with their or pressing with their linear progression, right? They all had calendars. They all wrote it down. It was part of our onboarding, on-ramp. We said, hey, when you get in here, don't do what's on the board. You're going to do this. Every All of our coaches knew that the new people were going to do that. So you just increase. You, you learn how to apply bedrock. You learn how to do it on a four-day cadence, a three-two split, a fucking two-three split. I don't fucking know. You just make it work. Um, and if in terms of them, like, shuffling their days, that's up to you, man. Maybe they just don't progress, you, you know, right? Give them homework. Does that answer the question? I believe so. so. Yeah. All right. I'd, we got a few grindstone questions. So program on the, on the rise here. So this is a, we'll start with this one, then I'll, I'll get into the next one. <clears throat> so this is from General Chewy. I currently follow Grindstone, working as an LEO 12-hour midnight shift. What, if any, accessory exercise would you recommend adding to the program to help make the trunk, back, and shoulders ironclad to avoid the long-term injuries mm. from pushing a cruiser and wearing 30 pounds of gear on the hips and vest all night? Hmm... We do a fairly decent amount of trunk work in Grindstone. I mean, obviously not as much because it's an abbreviated program. Um, I think really just looking at different types of uh, rotational movements. Uh, if, it, if I was going to do anything extra in Grindstone, it would be I would do some form of med balls every day. Um, being able to either do ball slams, uh, five-way med ball, um, some tosses, reverse tosses, rotational, transverse. I just think a lot of times, especially with law enforcement, a lot of guys where things where people get dinged up is usually on some form of a rotation. They're reaching to do something. They're spinning. They're moving, um, especially with uh, with the load. And then also just losing uh, you know mobility and flexibility within the trunk. So I think if you can continue to maintain that, I think you're probably ahead of the game. Um, most of the guys that I saw get injured in the NFL, especially with back injuries, was usually where they got loaded from the side or they were in kind of a funny position, like, uh, you know, not bilateral, but like one leg was kind of back and the other one was kind of across the body and they got loaded in kind of an opposite direction. And I think that comes from just not ever getting in that position and not knowing how to necessarily reduce and generate force from that position. So um, I'm real big on the med ball stuff. I think um, when I think of trunk training, um, I really just think about, uh, you know, can I reduce force? Can I apply force? You know, how am I moving? And, um, and then also being able to have enough conditioning with it. Uh, you know, we do a ton of isometric holds. We work uh, eccentric, concentric contractions, but at some point it has to get a little dynamic and I have to have a conditioning portion for it. So being able to hit the med ball stuff would be really key. And I guess, are you sure it's your core that's the problem as well, right? Quote, unquote, or trunk, right? Um, what do you, do you think, like McGill's stuff? Yeah, so I was going to recommend Carl's article, right? So you can dive in, and if you want extra stuff, we provide plenty of opportunity, one purpose, and then exactly what you can do with that med ball. Mm -hmm. And then McGill stuff. So, so I guess let, let's also draw, give some, some application guidelines. So, John, what about like sets and reps in case people are freaking out? Um, it really depends. Um, I think the set and the rep should be able to match your level of proficiency. Mm -hmm. For example, if uh, I'm in such bad physical shape that I can only get two or three reps where they look good, um, people post videos all the time of the five-way med ball and some of the medicine ball stuff I program, and uh, it looks fucking awful. 
like they're just kind of look mm-hmm. like they're just going through the motions, just trying to get the reps. I tend to think about every rep as being my opportunity to like ingrain perfection in that movement. And I think if you just are kind of just trying to go through the reps, it's kind of like tying them together, just thinking it's like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like CrossFit. I got to get 50 reps. So I think with it, uh, it really depends on your level of conditioning and your ability to be able to not only apply, but reduce force and how it looks. So for the standard person training, I think something around maybe uh, 10 reps of each and then being able to change the movement pattern and be able to do 10s and 10s should be pretty good. But if all of a sudden you get to rep six or seven and you you know look like you're slopping through it, instead of just tying it together and do it, stop, reset, get in a good position. And like, what a great, and maybe we've talked about it in the past, Tess, but what a, uh, what a great example of work capacity versus replication of speed, right? So work capacity, the backbone and blood of the competitive world of fitness, right? And I'm not, I'm not, listen, those people train hard, they do crazy shit, but what you have to realize that work capacity is the best sandbagger, right? Yeah. It, it, it's being able to go slower, as, you, as slow as you can, but faster than the other guy. Yeah, well, right? if, if your slow pace is faster than the other dude, then The other dude's win. slow pace, yeah. right? And it's just conservation of energy. And it's not... Um, it's hard. I'm not saying it's not like a, an accomplishment. These guys are fucking amazing at what they do. It just shocks me that it's be really good at going slow. Not my thing. Now, when we talk about med ball and what John's talking about in proficiency, that is the replication of maximal velocity, right? Yeah. So even though you could mentally muscle through 100 fucking med ball throws without breathing doesn't mean that you're getting the response that John's looking for specifically that general chewy is looking for, right? It's in order to get the benefit of that training technique. It has to, it has to be maximal effort. Right. And then we have our, um, we have our article by Carl called, I forget the title. Uh, just med ball training, one, med ball training, one one check it out. That's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. And McGill, if you want to check out episode of Power Athlete Radio 233 mm-hmm. and 102, mm-hmm. two-time guest. And I guess that would go to anyone really sitting for a prolonged period of time. Mm-hmm. Truck driver, basically my dream job. <laughs> That's your dream job. It is now. <laughs> Think about it. You're in that big rig, fucking like uh, Black Dog starring Patrick Swayze. Dude, talk about a fucking life on the road. That's what I want to do. I don't want to go deliver UPS boxes. I don't want to deliver pizzas anymore. I'm going to be a fucking big rig driver. I'm going to be delivering nuclear warheads. I'm talking high value, high risk cargo. You think they're going to give you? No. The first, like, they're going to ask that Uber, like the machine driver. Those are going to be driving nuclear. No way, dude. Listen, they can't have room for Luke Summers. I imagine on the job application, it would ask for my favorite movie, Fast and Furious movie. And when did I see it? And I'm going to say opening day, all of them. And then that's going to get me the job. Well, this is not the plot of a Fast and Furious movie where people are going to steal the (laughs) nuclear warheads. (laughs) This is real life, but not really. Uh, Oh, my God. Okay, so I categorize this next question as grindstone. Okay. So, John, you're the only one of us in a position to answer this question. Uh, I got okay, a system. Good. I have a system. I know Luke's got a system, but those involve John's hard work with raising his kids. All right. Yes. So Alex L. asks, first off, love the podcast. Thanks, Alex. Idiot. You guys are one of the few that talk about strength and conditioning. And who are the others? <laughs> <laughs> we're you know what? He said the few. I'll, yeah, we're going to go find out who they are and, and, and ruin their podcast. And stay away from hippie, trendy crap. Okay, define hippie and trendy. I don't know. Um, That's not his Teeth question. whitening. So my question. <laughs> That's just good hygiene. My question is directed for John Wellborn, as he has done this before. Spelled J-E-A-N. With an accent, W E L B O U R N E. I spell my name backwards. Well, born. Well, that's the French side. The well born is. <laughs> so I'm a new dad of a one month baby girl. I've had I've had a really hard change to my workouts. I've had, Which, re- I've had, I've had to, to really yeah. had to change. Hey, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, Alex. Would you focus more on the main lifts, bench squat, dead, snatch, clean, or would you focus more on accessory exercises? Also, what would be the most advantageous rep schemes, how many reps, 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 to pair 
with these when you have little time to get these done. There's a program called Grindstone, and, and I'll get to it, but I'm just saying the reason that Pro Grindstone was created was for this exact question. Um, so little, can what I get, you should do so is out, you John. should focus on your main lifts like bench yeah. squat and deadlift. You should be able to get somewhere between, you know, three to five reps on everything and just go on and find Grindstone. Yeah, Luke, jump in. So Grindstone is, if you haven't heard of it, people, it's one of our programs. We offer a series of programs that have daily training. The interesting and selling, the interesting thing and selling point for Grindstone is it is what we're calling like a a flex schedule, right? In order to qualify, because we run into this all the time, new kids, new job, travel heavy, I, I just don't have time to follow field strong. I can't commit to fucking five training sessions a week. Well, basically the logic is if you can fucking manage your life, and I'm not saying life is easy for everybody, but if you can muster up two solid training days a week, you'll be in a good fucking space. So that's what Grindstone offers is two mandatory training days that you manage your schedule and you tackle each week. And then on top of that, we have our recommended training, and our optional training. And all of those, uh, I guess, reduce in priority as, you know, get your mandatory. If you get your mandatory, then tackle one of the recommended uh, and then hit an optional if you have time, right? And and people, like, it's funny. We w- There's people that we have been in the network for a long time. I'm going to say dozens of people. And life changes. They have a kid or they fucking get a new job or something. I'm thinking like Gavin Christensen, I think a couple years ago, is a great example of this, who was hard charging on... Uh, either Jack, I think Jack Street at the time, and just couldn't fucking handle it. So we, what did he do? Jumped on Grindstone. Hit basically his mandatory and then just took care of it, like chilled out, slept, focused on diet the rest of the time instead of burning the candle at both ends. And he started fucking smashing PRs for like three months straight. Imagine that. You know what I mean? And it's just this fallacy that we, you know, um, you're going to sacrifice two hours of sleep to hit training in the morning when stress is high at work, at home, and you start to dig yourself into a ditch and then more doesn't become more, right? You don't have all these things in place. You don't have your nutrition in place. You don't have your sleep in place. Well, a program like Grindstone allows you to flex that shit, sleep in a couple a couple days. Sleep is the most anabolic time that you can get. Who do we just have on we were talking about sleep with? Well, we had Dr. Kurt Parsley at the last block one. Oh, test. that's what it was. Yeah, so it was Kirk at, at the block one. And it's just like the, the mechanical growth that occurs in fucking deep sleep is absurd, Absurd. Yeah, it was, it was cool. That was pretty cool. So uh, that's what Grindstone is, people. So and and let's say you you are like Alex or Alex. Let's say you're like, well, that's not enough information. I think John gave plenty. And if you don't want to fucking think for yourself, which is fine, that's why we exist. And honestly, we're in business is because you don't want to do all the all the ditch digging we've done to figure out uh, how this thing all works together. Then sign up for fucking Grindstone. It's like twenty five bucks a month, and everything's gonna be laid out for you, and you're gonna smash it. And life's going to be good. And uh, next thing you know, your daughter will be grown up, six years old, calling you a cheese stick. (laughs) (laughs) Those silly cheese sticks. Oh, man. That's great. All right. So this next question from Adam Robert Jones. What are the best exercises for, for bulletproofing neck, traps, and shoulders for tackling in rugby? Fist pumping. Fist pumping? Fist pumping in fucking the Jersey Shore. That's how I got my traps. Trapped. You're Truth. Only, you're only righty. <laughs> uh, we wrote an article about three years ago to answer essentially concussion protection training. So how I would answer this would be to drive you towards that article, next traps and shoulders for tackling as well as concussion prevention. And this was an article that John and I collaborated on because I was working at a private high school in D.C., and there was kids opting out of football or their parents were opting them out of football because of a concussion epidemic or fear. I'm not sure what it was, but it kind of broke down training and broke down the trap, and the trap is pretty freaking cool. Um, but um, it, is the, the, it is the shock absorber for the neck. 
and yeah. the thickness and the muscle and the density that you can create within your upper and lower trap and into your scap and all that, uh, you know, effectively safeguards and acts as a shock absorber when you hit. So, I mean, you think about uh, everybody really when they focus on the neck, they're always just actually focusing on like, you know, the scalenes and the outside of this deal. And it's actually uh, the trap. sternocleidomastoid. That's what it is. Where the scalenes are on the side of the neck, yeah. aren't they? But scalenes are like the tendon. Yeah, the tendons, that, but they really like focus on those muscles mm-hmm. on the side, which are important. But realistically, for most people, the the impacts are going to drive them back, and the uh, the you know the development of the trap, and really just you know when people think of the traps, they just kind of see it from the front, like they think of what they can mm-hmm. see in the mirror. When I think of traps, I think about all the stuff that you can't see, the stuff that's on the backside, as being like a bigger um, you know factor for that neck. So. Um, you know, all the time I'll go to the gym or when anywhere we go, we see, you know, guys with some fairly, you know, big traps and I can't tell if it's just that they're rolling their shoulder forward and flexing it, but all you got to do is kind of go to the side. And if you see the trap actually, uh, you know, uh, thickness off, off the side of the, of the, the back of the trap and the shoulder, then that's like a thick trap. Just having a, a big trap horizontal is not necessarily what you're looking for. You're looking for more, yeah, the something tall more, stuff. more thickness towards the back. Yeah, and so where we began that was establishing that long spine, right? And old school football, they they always tell you, right, never to old tackle school, with, old school, never tackle with your with your head down. Well, do you know what that's called? No, axial loading. When okay. you when you don't oh, see yeah. what you hit, so think about uh, as you put your head down, the top of your head gets loaded, and it's called axial loading, and it's how you break your neck or you hurt yourself. So but that's what why. if let me let me throw a scenario out there for you, John. But Is what if you? you're what if you you are approaching a tackle uh, from the side with your head up, and at the last minute you just put the top of your head in somebody's earpiece to try and knock them out. Um, is that axial loading or is yeah, that like, it can be, I don't um, think so. I think it's called tackling. Uh, you know what? I think, <laughs> um, I think you can do that anymore though. Yeah. Uh, that's called spearing. And it's oh. like what Chuck Cecil and uh, Timmy Houck used to do and why they don't play in the NFL anymore. <laughs> they just got rid of those dudes who used to just come in like the fucking, you know, I remember being like, this is like the Montana missile crisis. <laughs> that's where Timmy Houck is from Montana. Uh, I may I may have been guilty of that on a couple fucking donkeys. Yeah, the problem you know, granted, is that was is, high school and you're fucking yeah. made of rubber. Well, that and also people um, in high school aren't going to move. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I remember talking to running backs and them seeing like as they were running, as the guy went to tackle them, they would you know yeah, they'd see him put as, their head down yeah. and, and they had the ability to yeah. like fucking you know shoot him shoot him past or or you know block and push him down. Mm-hmm. So if you can't see what you're hitting, you're in trouble. Yeah. So yeah, we'll uh, I guess we'll link up that article into it. Basically, we looked at squat days as your fucking build the neck day, which would be twice a week on our bedrock program that we had our high schoolers on. And we would change, challenge the different orientations, frontal plane, and then a big part of it would be our manual resistant neck. And so we have a video in there that uh, Luke puts uh, old Ben, uh, Ben D. Oh, yeah. Through. Nice. I don't know if you remember making mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got uh, Star Shrugs, Kelso Shrugs. And I think we got to add some well-born shrugs in there. Mm. Well-born shrugs. The well-born shrug, a new move. Has that popped up in programming? Uh, I've been programming them, but unfortunately, um, they're just called RDLs to shrugs. Actually, Brandon Lilly tried to coin them as Lilly shrugs, so if Brandon's listening, they are just known as RDL to shrugs, and we used mm-hmm. to do them for years. <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, people have been calling these fucking penlay rows, which is just a bent over row that starts and finishes on the ground. Now, if you were going to coin something, you would call them fucking Yates rows or Dorian Yates rows where he deadlifted the bar up from position and then he would load into it and then do the row and the bar never touched the ground. Then he would snap and put it into the rack. So uh, I just always uh, assumed that they were the rows that Dorian Yates did and he would do them reverse grip in different ways. The other way was just how you did a bent over row. So I don't know why we had to call them penlay rows. John, I don't think you would, you just don't understand. (laughs) Seriously, I fucking don't. Like, it's just, uh, I mean, I guess everybody wants to have a, a, you know, a movement named after them. I mean, I don't. uh, I mean, even though I do. I mean, is there, you know, I mean, I'll tell you though, but to do that, you better be like fucking Dorian Yates, the shadow. I mean, who you know, to me is by far one of the most dominating bodybuilders ever. And, uh, you know, I remember as a kid getting flex magazine and seeing like, damn, look at his back. I guess he's doing these barbell row things, gives him that back, you know? And then we saw the blood and guts training video. And I realized exactly why that dude was who he was. You guys, unfortunately, I don't even think they have it out anymore, but if 
But if you can find it, buy Blood and Guts, the Dorian Yates training videos. Maybe Zach Evanesh, if you're listening to Zach, oh, send us a copy. Old school. <laughs> Every time I say it, I just, I, I like Zach's like fucking well-born. All right. While, while we still got some higher energy for the show, I want to go back to our conversation post-training this morning. And this question here is from our boys, Black Custom Knives. All right. All right. What are you guys no, personally training no, for right no. now? What are you, you guys? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm no, trying to... No, use guys. I'm trying to correct these typos. No, it's, it's these an intentional... Typed. It's, it's an intentional... Hey, what are echo. you, use guys? Hey, what, what are you, you, you guys training for? Ing, ing. Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, Luke was training for his wedding. Um, More specifically to fit in the perfect wedding pants that were undersized. Uh, oddly enough, we were talking about this very thing this morning as well. Uh, we're, uh, well, I mean, really what spurred it was the idea to, um, you know, basically, what, what was it about Rudy? We were going to, uh, wherever Rudy goes. Well, John's goal. No, well, it's not really my goal. It was a goal that I shoot out to all of you guys that I think we should do at the symposium, which is when Rudy goes undies, we all go undies. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just strike a pose like Rudy. Yeah, undies, so please. all weekend? Well, uh, I don't think he goes undies all the time. I just mm -hmm. think at, like, moments when you're like, hey, Rudy, uh, what do you got under those pants? And he just nudes up. I just think we just go for that. So that's how it all started. And every, so every year as we evaluate opportunities, as, you know, we are businessmen here. Right. We do evaluate product opportunities. We've become in contact with more and more folks with John. I'm kind of fleshing this, no, this yeah, idea yeah. out it's, called the non-athlete complex. No, it, it's um, we, we wrote two programs. One was called Jackhammer, which was a starter program for Jack Street. Mm -hmm. We also wrote a program called Lean Enable, which was a kind of um, uh, an introduction that people couldn't figure out how to start onto power athlete programs. They needed a little bit of on ramp, so we created this uh, you know onboarding program of Lean Enable. But there was a gap between that and like Bedrock, that yeah. and Field Strong, that and Grindstone. So we identified a gap. A lot of people came on to us and said, "Hey, I want to have a daily program a lot like that." Yeah. So yeah, something like that. We've been working on um, a program that would be a team training, you know, uh, environment similar to kind of what we're doing on Lead Enable. And uh, we were, as we were talking about it, Luke's like, hey, maybe we should test this program kind of similar to what we did with Jack Street. Yep. And, um, you know, do something. And, you know, at that point I said, hey, you know, my big three for, for any type of contest is going to be money, food, and shame. Yep. If you can pack in some money, uh, like a bet, if you can put some shame involved where, you know, you have to do something that's embarrassing, like wear a T-shirt that, you know, has a big uh, dildo on it or something, mm -hmm. you know, only, no problem, one now. only problem is Luke would be wearing it every day. He's like, so I got to wear it for an entire year. Sweet, uh, free shirt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the other piece is food where, you know, maybe somebody would have to either cook a meal, prepare it or something epic would yep, happen. Pony up. Pony up. So uh, putting those three things involved and then we'd have to add some other stipulations like um, no haircuts, which mm -hmm. we got no problem doing other than maybe, you know, PFC, PFC. Span, Spanton, which I think would be hilarious. Uh, you know, throwing a little money in there and then trying to find some type of metric uh, for performance. So, you know, we can do, mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking uh, we could hit some performance metrics and we could really just start using the training and trying to, to ferret it out and see if we can really just, uh, you know, like every program, figure it out from the ground level. So granted, our position is that everyone would benefit from an athletic performance-based style of training, regardless of your training goal. It's the, it's the most prudent way to approach training because you cannot hurt an athlete in training. It's just, you, you can't. There's minimal risk. It's mitigated. But folks see athletic style of training, they go, oh, I'm not an athlete, right? I'm calling it the non-athlete complex. We just had a, a, a run-in with somebody this weekend who was like, oh, you know, as soon as I touch a barbell, I get more jacked than John. It was a female. And I'm just like... You know, you, you sit there and you, you, you entertain this fucking nonsense. And I just realized, like, this person has no fucking clue. They, are, they believe that they are something that it, they are not, right? And in our mind, you can train for athleticism, but people don't want to, right? So how, our goal is, realistically, a lot of folks come into this thing, this training thing, this, like, this doorway into training with absolutely no performance goals in mind, Right. That's not the like where we would say these performance markers by by achieving these performance markers, you have the residual benefit of improved aesthetics. Right. It's form follows function. 
It's just a side, it's a side effect of being athletic. You look better, right? So now, how do we trick people? How do we say, without with staying true to our, with our methodology, we say, hey, here's a fitness program. Go get in shape. Go tone up. But in actuality, what are they doing? See, we're learning primal proficiency. They're overloading the primals. They're doing everything we do in bedrock, but it just looks and feels a little bit different and a little more palatable, right? Sure. So that's how we're trying to infect this mass market so that when we go to our fancy dinner parties that we typically go to... <laughs> And someone's like, well, tell me about power athlete. Like, and you're like, this fucking donkey has no place on field strong, but I got to do something for him. Sure. So that's the... That's well, the, it's the uh, leave no man behind kind yeah, of Yeah, totally. You I, know, like, we've, we've kind of gotten into a little bit of, you know, I hate to say it, a little bit of an elitist deal where, you know, we assume that people want to be big and jacked and they want to be fast and strong and they follow something like either, you know, a full-fledged program that you have to commit to five to six days a week, like Jack Street, like Field Strong, uh, Grindstone was kind of that first kind of piece, but also that is also very, uh, you know, choose your own adventure and very heavy based on you as an individual. So something that's um, a little bit yeah, lower barrier, right? Yeah, a little, little bit easier. Um, doesn't have to be, uh, you know, and I hate to, I mean, it, it kind of goes against a lot of our stuff in terms of like, you know, burn the bridges, burn the ships. But we also have to, you know, onboard people kind of like those penguins that walked from Antarctica for the. Um, they didn't get, they weren't born the walking, John. Oh, right? I'm sorry. They swam. Yeah, but they weren't born swimming. You have to work these things in. So that's why we've called it the penguin program. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess long answer, yeah. long answer to we're getting a ready here yeah. to uh, we're getting ready to test new fucking program, pair up some nutrition with it, and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, and uh, I also really like the idea of uh, adjusting the nutrition protocols to pair up with the different training programs. Mm-hmm. Right now, we've uh, been just using like a um, you know cyclical keto, a leaning, and a bulking protocol. But as I went back and started looking at like the total demand of uh, of work, and if there was a better way to kind of skin it, yeah, like I a think, guy on grindstone, yeah, uh, the the performance protocol isn't won't suit a guy on grindstone as well as well um, as a guy on field strong yeah so i, I think right. there's a way to kind of uh, adjust some of the nutrition protocols so that they hit the mark better with each training program and i yep. think as we get into this um this different law offering we'll have some specific training protocol or totally. uh, nutrition protocols because yeah, yeah. i don't think the ones that we have would be ideal so just based off of workload numbers and that, and then we also got to realize that, um, you know, not everybody is, you know, squatting toes forward in a good, you know, athletic position and knows how to squat and land. So I think we got to go back and put some stuff in there to really help people along. Or honestly willing to touch a barbell, right? So how, like, that's another, like, creative problem solving we have to tackle is, okay, so we have the primal squat, which we know is needed, but we have a population of people who are like, barbells are scary, how are we going to fucking get those people, right? I don't know. Solving the world's... Okay, how about this? Here's the answer to that question. Black custom knives. We're solving the world's problems. That's what we're doing with our Again. Training. Again. What else we got, Tex? So we got a few quick hitters here to wrap up the show. Easy. Ready? John? Yeah, let's roll. All right, real talk. Which is more PR-worthy? Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins or Eye of the Tiger by a Survivor? Mm, I'm going with Eye of the Tiger. Are you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do love the little Top Gun Highway to the Danger Zone. I mean, if that song comes on while you're driving, you're going to be doing 150 pretty soon. But I think Eye of the Tiger just strikes something deep inside. What do you got? Oh, easily, easily Eye of the Tiger. Fuck you all. Danger Zone all day. No joke. That song gets me so jazzed up, I get fucking goosebumps. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Just, just rolling on your, uh, you know, Honda Elite 150 moped, just fucking cruising. Just Highway to the yeah. danger zone. But mm-hmm. I, I, the tiger. There's a. An epic Dude, the, comeback story. There. The opening, nah. the opening music of Eye of the Tiger. When you hear it, it just yes. like. Yeah. No way, yeah. man. The, uh, danger zone probably, has no story. Well, probably because you never ran through the through the uh, Italian market in Philly. You know, you guys aren't Philly guys. <laughs> no, you know? I haven't. I, I mean, like... <laughs> but I've been on the highway to the fucking danger zone. Yeah. yeah. So in Philly, like, going through the uh, Italian market, I remember, I, like, years ago, we were down there, and I, and I think my brother was driving, and it was right around Christmas, and we were down there picking something up, and I was like, drop me off. And so we dropped off, and we ran a little bit, and then he was, like, looped it around, and he's like, you drive, will drop me off, and he got to do it. So then we went to the steps, and we did. It was pretty funny. We kind of reenacted all of our rocky, you know, rocky moments. So I think it's because, you know, I associate Eye of the Tiger with training, which, as you all know, I hate. 
but I, <laughs> but Highway to the Danger Zone is a fucking high speed, fucking aircraft, like flying through the fucking like high speed fucking Air Force. <laughs> uh, Top Gun, it's like fucking Top Gun, man. So you, we got fucking Maverick, we got Goose, we got them cutting through air, taking on MIGs. Dude, are you kidding me? That's that's a fucking hero's tale if I've ever heard one. No. Yeah. No. I, Instead of some donkey punching a bag of rags. No. Bag of rags? Yeah. No. That was Clubber Lang is no bag of rags. <laughs> Freaking brick house. Hey, woman. Hey, woman. How about you get you a real man? Yeah. Dude, uh, Rocky, dude, Rocky he was awesome. Great. That's Rocky why we listen to. That's why we listen to fucking Eye of the... Or no. Shit. We actually listened <laughs> to both of, of them today. I thought... Uh, Danger Zone Radio. Well, how come it wasn't until Debbie Gibson's I Think We're Alone Now? Did you get fucking pumped up? That also is my pump-up song, but that wasn't an option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we only had two. Uh, that was not a quick hitter. Go on. Uh, what's the deal with text lifting in a polo? Uh, is this Tevis? No. What's the deal? <laughs> it's Kramer. What's the deal with politics? I mean, I don't get it. Um, Friday, occasionally, is Hawaiian shirt days. Yeah. When, you know, when one, a member of were the crew... You, were you wearing a colored shirt today? Yeah. That's his only Hawaiian shirt. Huh. No, I, I have a number of performance polos from strength and conditioning days, but I can't wear them anytime else than lifting. Mm -hmm. But Hawaiian shirt day isn't literal. It's figurative. It's like, hey, maybe we'll start 30, 45 minutes late. Maybe one of the, the crew had to go on a date last night or something. Got Ooh, he did leave the office a little early. Uh-huh. So, and then we, hey, we give, we, we as training partners understand that. We understand the importance of sleep. So maybe we he let it start a little earlier. He did show up at 7 a.m. literally on the nose. Yeah. As, as if he was driving around from dropping somebody off. Mm. Doing a little walk of shame. Did you drop somebody off this morning? Did you, uh, carnal knowledge of a lady this time, Mav? <laughs> Next question. Ooh, Quick a hitters. gentleman never tells. Nope. Quick hitters. <laughs> Not as quick as oh. you last night. <laughs> hey, all in the hey, sun. Burn ban. Burn ban. Burn, burn ban's ban. on. Burn ban's on. We need a sign that says when, we need to go steal that sign. Burn ban on. Burn yeah. ban in effect. When are you going? Are you doing any seminars or symposiums? Yeah, in, in December. In Northern California. No, not not scheduled. However, John, I have an offer for you. Um, as you know, one of our recent Block One recipients is headquartered or stationed out of uh, Puerto Rico. Do you think maybe we should go do a seminar in Puerto Rico? Say yes, say yes, say yes. No, they don't. Yeah. Even, they don't even have electricity right now. Or not? No. Um, Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Sorry. Ah, uh, Costa Rica. I would go to. I'd go um, to Puerto Rico I'm, too. I'm not going to Puerto Rico. All right, Costa Rica. Even though Rica. I do love Puerto Rico, it's one of the, the best trips I've ever been on. Uh, They're in a bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, right you know, Trump hasn't granted them electricity yet, so. Mm-hmm. That'll happen. So go. How about Costa Rica? Uh, I'd go to Costa Rica. I'd be down for that. Little power athlete, like a two-hour clinic. Two-hour clinic. Stay for a week. <laughs> I love it. My wife would be ecstatic on that. Does she get to come? Yeah, of course. All right, so you stay, then us and the kids? And yeah, Kate? yeah. No, I'll stay here. You guys can take Kate and the kids. <laughs> what else we got, Tech? So nothing in That's Northern it. California planned. No, because I mean. Because we have the opportunity to learn online from all over the world. Oh, Shameless yeah. plug. Power Athlete Methodology Course. That is correct. The uh, the in-person travel to seminar is uh, you know, a model that CrossFit's use and a lot of SMEs do it, and I'm sure is is uh, very valuable for a lot of things. But I think for as it for us as it sits today, uh, coming in and teaching a, a power athlete weekend would not do justice to what we've been doing here with the methodology in the block one. So what we would have to do is figure out a piece of this, you know, greater puzzle to go in and teach like a basic barbell, a sprint, or doing something like training for athleticism or how to jump and land. I mean, some piece and some different piece. So if, uh, if somebody wanted that and you know, there was 50 people and it was worth our time to go, I'm sure we would do it. Yeah, it's just, it's a strain on a... But you asking just because you want us to show up to your gym mm -hmm. means that you should get on a plane and come to Austin. Yeah, so we're over that. And then stand outside the range. Yeah, we're over you. that. I mean, we... It's just a race to the bottom. Yeah, ask um, and answer. It, it, it is. I it's mean, resource uh, intense, and, you know, what you will see probably over the next 6 to 18 months is we'll have some seminars stood up, right? Yeah. Well, some seminars stood up. We're going to really levy our block one coaches network. They, you know, and that's who we're grooming and, and preparing to help put these things on, right? So if you've ever dreamed of putting on a seminar for Power Athlete with Jean Wellborn or John Wellborn and or Tex McQuilkin and or me, Luke Summers, 
you get, first step is get your block, man. That's where we start, baby. Got to be a block one coach. So any other questions? Do we have any questions for one another? John, smoking up any meat? Oh, yeah. We got our, um, you know, um, ordered up some state classy meats. We got a nice brisket we're going to smoke. So we got that Ooh, sucker. Baby. We just got to figure a day on that one. Um, what do we got? Fourth of July coming up. What else we got? Uh, what else can we bullshit about? Mm, I think we're good. I think we're good. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another world-class, unmatched episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Listen, if you've made it this far in this episode, congratulations. Here is a super amazing opportunity for you. Are you sitting at your desk just wishing that you could review a podcast? Well, have I got news for you. Head to iTunes, head to Stitcher, leave us a review. Let us know what we can do better. Let us know what we can do Less better. Uh, probably, I think the most recent review text was, man, great podcast. John Wellborn's amazing. He knows his shit. There's some other guys on there, too. <laughs> For real? Yeah. Oh, my He's God. He's fucking zinged us. I don't know. I thought it was funny. Zingo. Yeah. And I'm like, John knows this stuff? John's not even a host. He's, he's an idiot. He's, he's a featured guest. But that's all I got for you, people. Thanks for listening. And until next time, bye. bye. Yeah, we should do a bit. Like uh, reading your tweets, but we read the iTunes reviews. <laughs> uh, 2014 audio is absolutely fucking awful. Are these guys doing a fucking podcast in the wind tunnel? Anyways, yeah, maybe later. Okay, for real, bye. 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 Now it's time for you to empower your performance. There are, of course, a lot of reasons why you should attend the Power Athlete Symposium. Luke, he's going to talk ad nauseum until December 7th, 8th, and 9th about all the reasons you should go, the speakers, the charity, all that stuff. But what I'm going to be doing at the end of each episode is updating you with some of the less obvious reasons. Today, reason number 643, lanyards. Dude, fucking lanyards. Sick lanyards. Have you ever seen a person with a lanyard, personalized name tag, maybe like a little flare pin, and thought that that person was not important? No. You will look like a fucking boss. People are honestly going to think that you are someone's actual employer. You can wear it when you sleep so that potential intruders know not to fuck with you. You can try wearing it at Chipotle to see if you get that special guac treatment. Uh, wearing it at the symposium, though, uh, surprisingly, is optional. Get your tickets at powerathlete.com backslash symposium. And don't forget to tune in next week for yet another random reason to attend the Power Athlete Symposium. Until next time, bye!